The Assembly will hear an address by His Excellency Naftali Bennett, Prime Minister. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 21 of Here We Go Again, Israeli Politics. Biden, Abu Mazen, and Bennett all speak at the UN General Convention. Bennett's speech topics, the political situation, Corona, Iran, and what was blatantly not mentioned in the speech, the Palestinians. This is Here We Go Again. Okay, it's September time. So for those who are not aware, in the beginning of September starts the UN General Convention for the year. Um, as this happens, the big leaders from the countries of the world come to speak and share their opinions on the happenings in the world at the UN General Convention. President Biden started us off, for those who are relevant at least, with the speech he mainly addressed climate change. He did not address Iran or China or Russia or any of the big um, foreign uh, security threats that faces the U.S. and its allies. Following him in a rather good slot, and we'll discuss that later, was Abu Mazen, who is the head of the PA and who also met, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, with Defense Secretary of Israel um, and Benny Gantz. And following them, Ra'erev uh, Chag of Sukkis on Monday afternoon, Bennett got up to speak at the UN General Convention um, for the first time in 10 years that it is not uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, the person from Israel speaking at the UN General Convention. For those who do not remember, uh, the UN, when it came to speaking, was uh, pretty much the home base for, uh, for Netanyahu. He was considered a phenomenal speaker, still is. He is one of the greatest orators um, in the world. He would always come with uh, bombastic speeches and give out um, new uh, information that Israel um, got on Iran or other issues. He would come with diagrams and he had his speech of silence at the UN where he rebuked the UN for their lack of response. Uh, and this was a big test for Bennett going into this speech about as to can he match up to Netanyahu on his speech here? Can he get the same media attention? Can he get the same reactions? Or even, not if he can get the same, can he get something similar to that? Can he reach the same heights in the media, in the fanfare, and the actual effect that happened on foreign nations as Netanyahu had in his speeches? This was a big test for him going into his first time and only one of two most likely as Prime Minister of the State of Israel. So I think that on the one end, yeah, it's a big test and you're seeing it, but I think that there's there's two different factors when it came to the UN speech and I'm reading it. One is, okay, making sure he doesn't screw up. And that's not a joke. Like, you know, I could expect many people to go up there and say bad things that would hurt him and would be all internationally uh, denounced. So let's just say on that part, there was a check. He was successful on that part. Nothing was said there from an international perspective that was bad. The second part is really making that wow. Now, this is a this is a different opinion of your goal at the UN, okay? Bibi's goal was to make a show, to have everyone talk about it. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong, but that's a certain method, okay? It's a method of what are the Israelis going to say. We have to also realize this, what did Naftali Bennett have to say that was new, that was new information here? Now, there was no information, new information on Iran, not saying that it's the space to give the new information. Well, there was a little bit, and we'll get to that. But it's not about the security information. It's about bringing it up to the table. You're he is the first prime minister after Netanyahu, after a long period of the stances that were very clear. And this is his opportunity to show to the world, especially after such a failed conference with Biden, his opportunity to show to this world his strength of character, his leadership, and 
where he stands on many of the issues, where his new quote-unquote diverse government, which we'll, we'll get to him calling his government that later, um, where they stand on Iran, on security issues, on the Palestinian problem, and so on. Right, no, I, I agree, but what I'm trying to say is that there's a, there's a question of on the one hand, he, he wants to look like a put-together leader that's in control, and I think he was successful on that part. On the other part of it, which really is a question of, you know, it's the first time speaking. So let's say, you know, what we love, one of Bennett's like most powerful speeches in the Knesset this past year is when he came in fully blazed screaming that they are literally murdering people in their treatment of corona. Let's not get into that topic for a second, but in, in, like when I watch him, I'm like, wow, like I feel the anger and the power and the care. Now, would I, on the one part of me, love to see that in the UN? Yeah, I'd love for him to sit up in front of the world and say, I'm the new boss in charge, and if this Iranian deal is not taken care of, we will be destroying them or attacking or any other thing to the entire world. But at the same time, as a first speech, I don't know if that's the right speech to do. Like, if you imagine a Knesset member that just joined, getting up to the stage and saying, we need to, you know, attack this and this and this, and we need to take over Gaza. Now... He might be right, he might be wrong, but like, it's almost like, whoa, you just arrived, you're new in town, it's a little immature and inappropriate for you to get up and start making those claims. So I think that in this situation, it would have been inappropriate for him to pull off a BB show in this realm. Well, A, BB did pull it off on his first time, and it's only his one of two. He will only have most likely two shots at this. He will have this time and the following year, and maybe the next year, depending on exactly how the dates work out with the transfer. So it's very debatable. He doesn't have that long. But let's go about, before we get to the, what was actually said on the speech, let's go about the reception of the speech. I just want before, on, on your last point there, and I think it's a matter of, of more macro politics. I don't inherently agree with the idea, and I think it would actually be wrong of him to sit there as a character. If he went to sleep the night before and said, this is one of the only two times I'm going to be there, let me make a show for Naftali Bennett, then I would sit there and say, that's, it, that's to me an, an incorrect way to look at it. And I would say that it's uh, uh, immature as a, as a politician to do that. And that's what I'm claiming. First of all, you should be thinking what's good for the country and therefore one or two times wouldn't make that difference. Second of all, I don't believe he thinks he's there for one or two times. Not because I think he's going he's gonna to not commit his deal. I've made it clear in the past and I will make it clear again that I, have hun I definitely believe that he will pass on the, uh, the... Again, let me be clear. I'm not saying the government will stay held for another year and a half and therefore it will be able to transfer it over. I'm saying if the date comes... He will not be taking apart the government, but he will actually give Yair Lapid the prime ministership. But I don't think that in his head, either one, the government will not make it to the two years and therefore he might continue. Or two, once it, even if Yair Lapid goes on, he genuinely believes that he will be continuing to be prime minister after that in the next elections to come. So I don't think he looks at it as the one or two times I'm here. Okay, so let's go back to the reception of this and the timing. Um, Bennett appeared to have gotten the short straw. Maybe because it's his first time, maybe because it's still animosity for Netanyahu. He got, first of all, a really bad time for the speech. It was afternoon, on, on a Monday afternoon, and um, for the Israelis, it was Erev Chag. So first, it was a Monday afternoon, it wasn't even prime time, it was 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It was 4 o'clock in the afternoon in Israel, meaning it was, was morning-ish in New York. It wasn't a time that most Americans would be watching, it wasn't a time that most of the world could watch, they're at work, it's Monday, it's a Monday. And it meant that he was stuck there for Chag, which we'll get to what he did on Chag in a little bit. It was, and it meant that the big uh, channels in the states and the world didn't carry the speech even. Fox, CNN, MSNBC, none of them even showed the speech. It didn't matter to them. 
and this was a failure on his part. He needed to have fought for a better time slot, and I don't know if he could have, but the fact that Abu Mazen, who doesn't even lead a real country, had a considerably better time slot than Bennett, is a slap in the face to the Prime Minister of Israel. Okay, so I slightly disagree with you. I will say slightly because I obviously think that there is a pressure and a power that Israel has in the UN uh, to be able to make that statement. This was one of the most complicated UN months ever because they, you don't usually fall out on the holidays in Israel and on the Chagim. If you look into the options of the dates, the first, it started on Sabbath, so you can't have any speech on the Sabbath. And then it went through to a date Sunday, which it doesn't, there's no UN on Sunday. And then Monday evening was already Chag. So he really was left off with either like, I, I think there was one other slot he was even able to do, and then there was Monday. It was basically the only time really available for him to speak that wasn't on the holiday or on the Sabbath in Israel. So again, do I think the situation could have gone better for him? Yes. Do I think that he failed on the part? Wasn't again? It's not his failure. It's failure of the people that are in charge of pushing it forward. And this was, you know, there was a, a at first there was, a, there was an attack on Gilad Erdan, the ambassador to the UN, which is the one that's really in charge of getting the slot for the country. And even that, I slightly disagree with because I think that out of the options, this was the best of the worst options we had. Uh, I disagree because there were enough days, but that's a little irrelevant. But one last thing before we get to what was actually said in the speech, uh, because of the late date and when it was, Bennett had to stay in New York for the Chag. And it was actually a very interesting uh, scene that happened. He walked from his uh, where he was staying in his hotel to his shul, a whopping 25 blocks, a 30 minute walk. He walked on the night of Chag because he couldn't take a car. And it was a great power move and a political play because there's videos of the Prime Minister of Israel wearing a keyboard walking a suit and tie because he can't carry anything, shutting down half of New York at night. Every street that he went down, he shut down half of Central Park with uh, like 700 police officers protecting him when he walked to his shul. He went to that shul when he gave a speech, the shul he used to dominate when he lived in New York. But it was a nice power with a good political play for him to be seen at shutting down New York because he has the power to do that, especially after this time slot quote-unquote slighted him uh, with the time slot in the UN. I definitely think that it shows power. You know, it's, it's, it's a matter of not every state, and by the way, I'm a little surprised that the Americans allowed it and that the, that the um, Secret Service really gave permission for it to happen because this was a huge operation to pull off and they did it. And I think that this, on the one hand, was a very complicated operation, but also shows how serious they took it with the amount of security and guards that they had around the Prime Minister of Israel walking through Manhattan. Um, really beautiful scene to see people standing were really saying Shabbat Shalom and Chag, uh, it was Chag Sameach and he said back Chag Sameach to them. It was a cool scene to see. It, it was funny. It was finally safe to walk at night through uh, New York. <laughs> but I also just think that for, if, if I try to take myself to someone who doesn't know much about the state of Israel, doesn't know, you know much about Judaism or religion, it's just an interesting thing to come and see, yeah, when is the last time that a leader of a influential country in the world walked for over 30 minutes because, sorry, today we don't take any transportation or any vehicles, so I'm going to walk for 30 minutes in the street, again, in a suit and a tie. It was a, it was a, it was a fun thing to see. It was, and it, and it showed, it also reminded people of the fact that he's religious and that he, did, he sacrifices a lot because he didn't spend the holiday with his family again. And he was once again a thing because they, they were in Israel and he was without them in the States. And it wasn't that simple for him. Okay, finally, let's get back to the speech. 
So, there were three main topics that Bennett discussed in his speech. He discussed the political situation in Israel, the government that he built, he discussed Corona, and he had some harsh things to say there, and he discussed Iran. So let's get the one thing at a time. First, he discussed the political situation. He used very interesting wording, and why don't you guys take a listen. About a hundred days ago, my partners and I formed a new government in Israel, the most diverse government in Israel's history. What started as a political accident can now turn into a purpose. And that purpose is unity. So let's go to the wording that was chosen here. Uh, first, it was publicized that Bennett spent, he wrote most of the speech on his own. There were obviously uh, advisors, but he wrote most of the speech. And the wording is important. He used leftist speech think. He uh, decided, he, he used diversity and inclusion and unity, all very nice fluff terms that get the left um, and the states excited, specifically the left, which voted against Israel last week in the budget discussions, uh, the progressive left, um, although they did come back and vote for Israel, not the progressives, but the general left. Um, it's also a reminder to the countries of the world, and specifically the U.S., who's currently controlled by a left-wing administration, that they want Bennett's government in power. They like it. It's a, uh, he is closer to agendas than any um, of uh, Netanyahu's administrations. It's a, it, people in Israel were saying that this is a speech that could have been done at the next uh, meeting of the government. It wasn't a speech that needed to be done at the U.N. I disagree. I think it was important to do it at the U.N. because... The, he is reminding them why they need him, why him and his government is important to them. And he's also, his first chance, and he thought it would be more publicized, but his first chance to talk to the American public, talk to the general public of the world. And he's using words that they, that he thinks they want, that they think are important, and that they believe need to be said in a speech by a foreign leader. So a part of me agrees with you, and part of me says, who gives a shit? Sorry. I really don't understand why it is, and like imagine any other country getting up, Nigeria getting up and starting to talk to me about the fact that they decided to diversify their government and let this party, who cares? Like why does it have any interest? Now yes, because guess what? Just like in this country, by the way, no one really cares about who's forming the government. Not, obviously I'm exaggerating, not no one, but the general public doesn't care which little party actually went into this government. All they care about is that BB was there and BB's not there. They maybe care that there's also Arab parties in there, but the general population does not care if the, if the members of Yeshatid are in it or the members of Lieberman are in it. And if it ended up being that Lieberman decided not to be in the government, no one would care. And I think it's definitely true about the world. They care about the fact that Benjamin Netanyahu is no longer the Prime Minister and that now Naftali Bennett is the Prime Minister. That is very interesting information. They do not care how diversified, diversified, diversified. diversified thank you, uh, the government is, and that's what I feel about it. I, I agree, the general populace doesn't, but it's a, it's, it's a tool to use when the, with the administrations in the states, especially such a left-wing administration, or even the Congress uh, people in the states, that they do care or they proposed to care and then when they're discussing it it's it's just another tool against them and i i just want i brought this to say that it's against the people in israel that were saying this shouldn't have brought up in the un no this definitely should have been brought up in the un because it was important it was also important for the next two parts of his speech that where he's coming from that yes even this government which is more quote-unquote divorced and unified than any other government before it 
and include people from the center and the left and the far left, this government is still going to be strong in Iran more than the United States can be, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Now, his second topic was Corona, and this topic caused a bit of a mess. He discussed that, um, first, he discussed that there's a big health crisis and an epidemic leading us. Um, he tied this into the previous part with a political polarization, but he discusses it, and, he, and, and then he says one sentence, which lights up the world. He says that doctors are a, a, and the medical administrations are not the one who make the decisions. They need to be the ones to give advice, and then the people who make the decisions are only people who sit at the head of the government because they're only people who can see the wide scope enough. Here, take a listen. While doctors are an important input, they cannot be the ones running the national initiative. The only person that has a good vantage point of all considerations is the national leader of any given country. So this caused a bit of an uproar in Israel, which we'll discuss in a second, but it was a jab at the rest of the world too, because Israel was not the only one that had issues with medical administrations going against uh, the governments and, and, and seeing that there's a built administration that the elected officials don't matter anymore. Um, for example, the United States had issues with Fauci and so on that caused the same issues with them. And in Israel, this caused a bit of, bit of an uproar because his government, his, especially the left part of the government, likes the administration. They like the administrative state. They support it. For example, um, the health minister, Holowitz, against Bennett said, his, his, his speech in the UN surprised me and they were not in their place and um, this was not a good thing to discuss now. Okay, so I think that this was totally not the place for this uh, part of the speech. First of all, I wasn't aware of such issues they were having internally with the medical community in Israel. But I think that more so, my biggest issue with this table was that he states that the only person in the country that should be that can make the decision is the leader. But literally about a year ago, he was the one that stated that all the power should be moved over to him, the head of the Secretary of Defense of the country, because he's the only one that could run it. I happen to have agreed with him then, and I don't agree with him now. I agree that there should be one body that's singular that understands that he has the power and he has to run the stuff. But I still believe to this point that the army would do it better than the government. I completely disagree with you on that. I think it's the civil administration needs to deal with it as in the political body. And yes, the prime minister is the only person because he's the only one who can see the broad scope of what its effect on the economy will be and what its effect on um, health will be. And his main point of the speech here wasn't the fact against, quote unquote, the administrative state. It was mainly about the fact that he chose economy over health. He was saying... We can't stick like this forever. Our people need to have an economic life. His main point was glorifying the fact that there wasn't a shutdown because he saw, and as we're seeing now, slowly the numbers are coming down and, and the curve is going to bend down. And he's seeing that at this point, we're not going into a shutdown. And he needs to try to get the political points of saying, we wouldn't go into a shutdown. We weren't shutting down the economy. This is the choice we made and we stuck by it. So I understand, but I think it's more a matter of the medical community understanding their place and them changing their opinions. See, the head of um, um, the budget, okay? His job is to make sure the budget stands. So of course his stances to the government are going to be that you have to cut back there and cut back there and you are not allowed to do extra spending and that, that's his job. I don't expect him to adapt and say, you know what, you should totally do this new program that's going to cost us a fortune to help you. Same thing, now the government then makes a decision based on his 
opinions. The medical community is the same. It's their job to have, their main job has to be to make the least amount of people sick and to hold the government. Of course, they're going to support a shutdown. Their job is not to worry about the economics of it. It's to say, this is what we medically think should be done. Other opinion will give their opinions on what should be done for the economic values. And then the prime minister makes his decision. Yes, but his point was that they shouldn't be going and doing interviews on the news against the government then. They work for the government. They serve with the puzzle of the president. Well, I, not in Israel, but yes. I agree. I agree. Now, one thing that was very interesting to me that I liked was actually Horowitz's um, comments. First of all, I think it's totally okay and fair. It's the, he's the head of the Ministry of Health. And if he decides that he wants to say that he's supporting them, that's his right. What I think was the beauty was twofold. First of all, and I, this might be needed a reminder that we need to get, there is nothing wrong with a minister in, in the Israeli government. Remember, it's different than the United States, as you just said the sentence a minute ago, that they serve at the pleasure of the president. You do not in this country. Each minister is his own party, and he has the right to disagree with the prime minister, respectfully, but disagree with him. And I think that's not what he said here. I like that he said he disagreed, but you know what was interesting to see? There was never even a statement or a, or a thing of, I don't know if this government's going to be able to hold if he keeps on attacking it. You know, I, I can't sit with someone like that. He says, no, I disagree with you. I even adamantly disagree with you. But that's your right as a prime minister to think differently. And I'm going to support the, the medical community. Because if you look back or till now, it's been very hard. Like the second you disagree with the prime minister, everything's going to fall apart. But guess what? How often did Naftali Bennett and other people disagree with Bibi when he was prime minister? All the time. All the time they said, no, this is a bad idea and you can't do it. They publicly said they can't. It doesn't mean they left the government, but they can't. And I think it's showing a certain strength this government has that even with these large disagreements, they understand we disagree. Well, even publicly can disagree, but it doesn't have anything to do with taking the part of government. We're not taking part of the government. That's obvious to everyone, but I'm going to disagree with you. So I think it shouldn't have been done in the UN, but I do think it was a good speech that needed to happen. The health administration did need to be rebuked. They... they need to own up to some of the responsibility because they consistently, um, especially Professor Nachman Ash, who is supposed to be the head of Corona, has been going on in interviews and making a mess of things. Uh, um, he goes on and he states one thing and then he goes on and states another thing and it's against the government and he is very unclear of the messaging. And the main issue for most governments in the world hasn't been actually how you handle the, um, the crisis. It's what is the messaging? Are we clear on what needs to be done? And... The issue is with the health administration going out and saying stuff that are against what the government has decided to do caused a big mess with the messaging. And I think that was the main rebuke of Bennett in this situation. And I think it was a rebuke that was deserved, especially with uh, the political points that he gains from it, from saying, now we know the curve is bending down. I need to say that we we were the ones who fought against the shutdown and we need to do what we were the ones who fought for a third vaccine. We didn't shut down, so we can go and do it. It was also good because as we are aware, this Friday, October 1st, Corona came to a head. Um, two million of the citizens lost their green permit. They no longer have the ability to go to stores and so on because they did not get the third dose of the vaccine, the booster shot. This is a big issue because the FDA did not approve the vaccine for young people and yet the government is still forcing it on them. As we discussed in the previous episode, they are forcing them to take this shot and they are ostracizing them from normal life if they do not. You are barred from joining society if you do not take this third shot, which we do not know the ramifications of. And he goes and gives a speech at the UN and his point is that this decision is ours and we stand by our decisions. And it was an important thing to make, especially on leading up to again this Friday where there is such a big mess with the fact with the transfer over to the new um, health restrictions and the new green permit that didn't exist until now.
So the final topic that uh, was discussed at uh, the speech in the UN was, of course, Iran. Uh, for the past 11 years, give or take, it has always been the main topic of every prime minister at the UN. Uh, Iran, the nuclear crisis. Iran's bring, building a nuclear plant. And Bennett took a very interesting position here. Because, just a reminder, he is, again, the head of a center, center-left government, a unity government, and he needs, and so he needs to, on the one hand, to appease the parties that he's not angry in the world, he's not against a deal, and the other hand, he needs to show strength, he needs to be clear to the world that Israel will not back down. So he said a few things there we want to go through that were surprising and just a new look forward. So first, he didn't really bring any new intelligence. I mean, he stated that there was a new drone team for the UN, and he um, explained about Iran nuclear power, but it's nothing new or nothing that we haven't heard of before. Yes, the numbers are a little higher. Yes, it's a little bit more dangerous. And he did speak with harsh tones, but that's not what's interesting. What was interesting was that he was clarifying that posturing is not enough. Um, um, just people speaking wasn't enough. Let's take a listen. Words do not stop centrifuges from spinning. This was a clear rebuke of the American administration that loves to posture and tweet and talk about dealing with the Iranian problem whilst not taking any action against it. He also went so far as to give a harsh critique of the American left, especially the progressive left that consistently attacks Israel but refuses to condemn or attack any of the um, uh, terrorist countries nearby. And he, and he used their own language. Take a listen. Fighting the only democracy in the Middle East doesn't make you woke. Bennett clarified that Israel stands strong. If there is a nuclear deal, then Israel, if it is good enough, will support it. But Israel must defend itself and must defend itself from eminent destruction uh, from any means necessary. And he concluded with the note of just as he started that Israel is a light tower in a stormy sea. Um, and he also gave a blessing in Hebrew afterwards. And that he was saying that Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East where thriving democracy that once again he mentioned his diversity and that Israel must defend itself from foreign threats, especially nuclear foreign threats, and make sure those things never arise. So I I think that look he said what needed to be said, but it wasn't strong enough in my opinion. It was actually disappointing in that part. First of all, I think the Iranian part was too short. I think if you time the actual minutes that he spoke, I think less than a third of the time was spent on Iran, even though I think that should have been in the end. I agree that he could have finished with Iran, but it should have been the most influential and, and, and largest part of his discussion. I also think that it was just a little weak because I, I want to show, I like when our leaders show power. Not just showing that he's saying that we are the light and he was being very respectful. There's, certain, there's a certain persona of saying, we are in charge. And let me be clear. And I don't like the sentence of like, we will need to do what we need to be done. Now, some might disagree with you. Maybe there's some international issue with saying what I'm about to say. But I want the Prime Minister to stand in front of the UNB. Let me be clear. If time comes and needed and you don't do your jobs, we will attack what needs to be attacked. Now, you leave that up in the air. You don't say we're going to attack Iran. We don't say attack specific things that might be like an act of war. But you say, we will attack what needs to be attacked. It's a very different sentence to saying we'll do what needs to be done. It's a lot more powerful. It's a lot clearer to the world. We will attack what needs to be attacked. Yes, but he was very strong in his speech on specific thing, which I liked, which we don't do always, 
especially Israel, we tend to say very vague terms of someone threatening us something. No, he called out the Ayatollahs, he called out the, the, the new president of Iran, calling him a terrorist and a murderer. And it was a good move. And he was, again, a rebuke of the UN for allowing these homicidal maniacs to be members of the UN. That I agree. I think that when he discussed the new uh, leader of Iran, literally out in front of the world saying that he hung people and he's named the, what is it, the hangman from, uh, basically all he, the butcher, sorry, he's called the butcher from Iran, and he became, from Tehran, and he became the leader, he said it to the whole world, don't even think about looking towards Israel, an actual butcher of human beings is the person who's chosen to be the leader of Iran. It wasn't strong enough, I agree, it also didn't get the traction it needed, but it was a clear message to who needed to hear it. Again, I believe his speech was less pointed to the people, again, it was pointed to the political leaders, and he was just clarifying his stance, especially after not such a successful uh, conference with Biden, that this is uh, the Israeli stance on it, and Iran, and Iran is our issue, and Iran will be dealt with in Israel's time and Israel's way. Um, and now let's get to what wasn't mentioned in the speech. This was the important part. Nothing was said about the Palestinian problems. The biggest hint at the Palestinians was that Bennett mentioned Hamas as a, when he listed the terrorist organizations in the Middle East. He did not discuss it at all. He wanted to bring Israel more into the central stage as Israel, not as the Israel and the Palestinian problem. And he showed that with how he discussed the daily life of the Israelis in the beginning of the speech. Take a listen. Friends, for way too long, Israel was defined by wars with our neighbors. But this is not what Israel is about. This is not what the people of Israel are about. You see, Israelis don't wake up in the morning thinking about conflict. Israelis, like everyone else, want to lead a good life. We want to take care of our families and build a better world for our children. And that means that from time to time, we might need to leave our jobs, say goodbye to our families, and rush to the battlefield to defend our country. Just like my friends and I have had to do ourselves from time to time. I think this was, not just that it was a powerful part of the speech, I think it really means so much about the country. This isn't, I'm not even giving credit to Bennett for this at all. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a statement of what's going on. It's true. You do not wake up in the morning, yes, there still are certain areas that you do, but the overall majority of the country does not wake in the, up in the morning and not, doesn't think about terror, doesn't think about the Palestinian problem. It doesn't affect the day-to-day -day life. Now, some would come and say that that's a bad thing, but it shows that Israel is progressing and running forward on many, many other uh, atmospheres and it shows that our bigger issues and this is something that I have said in the past is that our issues are much much greater than the Palestinians I'm not denying the issues they exist and anyone that would say that you should just like that they got a problem is just ignorant of the amount of people that live in this country millions that live in this country that need to be dealt with okay and this is something that at one point in time will be an issue my only claim would be that the longer you wait it out you're growing stronger faster than they are growing and therefore your situation really is becoming better and better and better but it's not going away with that 
I will come and say that our issues as a country have gotten much, much larger than them. And issues does not have to be a bad thing. Issues as in things of interest that we have to deal with. When it comes to the international community, when it comes to the economy, when it comes to, you know, curing the world and, and, and fighting Iran and dealing with large economies and imports, it's just much, much more important. In the end, the economy is more important to this country than the Palestinian issue. And I think it's what you see here. It also appears to be a continuation of what was planned under uh, the Netanyahu uh, the administration of with the Abraham Accords and the, and the, sh the strength of my allies that was brought to front there that if you deal with the other countries in the area first, the Palestinian problem becomes easier to deal with. And he's saying Israel will defend itself, but Israel doesn't want to have the need to defend itself all the time. I agree with you. I think it's even deeper than that. It's very possible this government will continue to have conversations that we, we discussed last week with, you know, with the PLO and trying to just lower Hamas's power by talking to Abu Mazen. I'm not, I, the statement is not saying that we will not do peace and we will not discuss peace. It's a statement of where the, it starts and it's a very, very strong power play. If I'm saying, if we're about to discuss a, a, a discussion about, you know, uh, purchasing a company, whatever it was. The second, like, if I'm starting from a position of, I don't even care. Like, you're not even in the realm of what I need to discuss. It shows that when you want to come in and discuss things, I'm not pressured. I have no pressure to buy your company. I have no pressure to do peace with you. So if you think you're going to come to me later on where we might discuss peace, I don't need to come and start changing things because clearly I have bigger things to deal with. If you have issues and you want to make your life for the Palestinian people better, I'll talk to you, but in my terms. And it's also a hint again towards uh, what we discussed, uh, I believe, two weeks ago at this point, um, the foreign minister and replacement prime minister, Yair Lapid's plan of peace through economics, which is most likely not going to move forward at this point because of the reaction from the Hamas, but uh, which is saying, we want to, if we'll make your life better, and that's the deal for peace. And that's it. Now, um, once we mentioned the Abraham Accord, I just want to bring a really cute thing that I saw. Uh, Bahrain's new ambassador to Israel, Kahaled al-Jahalama, uh, just experienced his first Shabbat dinner in Israel and he tweeted this out. He said, I had the pleasure last night to be invited to a hashtag Shabbat dinner with some wonderful new friends. This marked my first Shabbat dinner in hashtag Israel, the first Shabbat of the new year and the first anniversary of the hashtag Abraham Accords. All this in a very special sabbatical year of Shemitah. This is a very exciting moment to these people who were not our allies, these people and who are experiencing and now aside from just economic boon between the two countries, experiencing full peace and relations of an ambassador joining for a Shabbat meal is a very big event and it's showing peace and moving forward with our neighbors in the area against the Fed of Iran and for just peace and prosperity in our time. Now. Part of the issue with not discussing the Palestinians is, on the one hand, this government saying we don't need to deal with the Palestinians. Now, on the other hand, they are doing things. Now, what happened? As we discussed, I believe, two weeks ago, the government put in another request for pushing off the removal of the Arab uh, settlement, illegal settlement of Han al-Ahmal, um, which has been an illegal settlement for many, many years at this point. Each government pushes it off again and again. Six months ago, the... Uh, government requested from the Supreme Court saying we're a new government let us get us the, our heads on the ground we would like to before we push it off the Supreme Court said fine but this is your last uh, push off we are after this you have to do it that's it we're done they requested again two weeks ago for another push off and the courts have responded the courts responded saying that they will push off one final time 
with a very harsh rebuke in the language of the Israeli government for not dealing with this mess. And they stated that this is the last time that it will ever be pushed off. They gave them a specific date and what they must do. Um, and they said that pertaining to deals and not deals, it doesn't matter. You have exactly six more months to deal with it. And if you and there's no other option to deal with it if not. I think this shows a very interesting side of Bogats. I mean, obviously I'm disappointed in this decision. I'm disappointed in the government for not doing it. I made that clear in the past. But I think that what it really shows is something we discussed in the past is that Bogats in the end does not have any actual power. They control basically everything in this country. But from a technical perspective, when it comes to it, they don't have any power. And that's what you're seeing here. Unfortunately, you're seeing it in a situation that I agree with that I think should happen and legally should be um, um, committed by the government. But it shows that push comes to shove. You guys could say this is the last time, this is the last time, this is the last time. But until the government is ready to send, send the army to commit to the decision and to remove the people from their homes, it doesn't help that Bagat says it needs to be done. And I just hope that this understanding that they have of their limitation of power will hopefully progress and be shown in other situations as well. Uh, I agree. Um, but I think it's just once again a showing of the hypocrisy of this government. That they would dare to... Th this government holds many people who rebuke the fact that Khan al-Ahmad was not removed. And once again and again they try to do it under um, different auspicious terms with secret documents or with a bigger news uh, happening in the news or in that news cycle. But no, you were the ones who pushed for Khan al-Ahmad that needed to be removed. You must stand up and do it. Especially with the left-wing factions of your government that are quote-unquote supporting uh, these uh, um, uh, these settlements and who are pushing against the settlements um, uh, on Judea and Samaria and against building there and the roads and it's a very big issue that um, you come out politically and even if you don't truly believe it from their standpoint that they appear to believe and support the uh, more left-wing leaning factions is a big problem and we'll discuss next week some of the bigger issues that happen with the Arab factions this week in the government in bigger detail pertaining to the Prime Minister Bennett and uh, the head party of Ram. And with that, we'll move on to the dumb economic decisions of the week. So this isn't a decision. This is really continuing of what we discussed, but just to enhance how ridiculous the problem in this country with the milk and eggs and, and the reform that was supposed to be passed and was canceled because we need to protect the citizens from import or importing goods from outside the country because then in time of need, we, we won't be able to support them. Well, it's been two weeks already and there's still no milk in the shelves in the supermarket. Like literally we are a first world country. The country of Israel that anyone has visited sees that this is a very productive, high tech, flourishing country. And literally you have to go to three different supermarkets to get milk. It's ridiculous, it's embarrassing, and I just wish it would have happened a month ago and then that reform would have actually passed. Yeah, and one of the reasons that it's happening is a lie. They say that there aren't enough days in the month of September. Uh, just a fun fact about uh, uh, milk. Milk can be made for over a month and a half in advance. It does not need to be made during the month of September to be but provided in the month of September. But it was not planned to do that, and every year they understand that they do that again and again. They have no interest on the matter. Because again, not a free market, therefore no competition. And with that, we'll move on to the fun Israeli fact of the week. So... Interesting fact is, as we're speaking about Iran this um, episode and our, you know, 
biggest danger and um, largest and most dangerous enemy in the world is Iran. We used to be friendly with Iran. Not just that we used to be friendly. You know, Iran was one of the biggest supporters of Israel when the state was created um, and really backed it up. This might be, many of you may know this and many of you may not. Until 1979, when the country was really uh, in the era of the Pahlavi dynasty, we were friendly with them, one of the most friendly countries. And only after the Iranian revolution, then they became our enemies. It was really a, a slow and sad situation, but I think that what we can maybe learn from this is you never know what the future has to hold. And uh, maybe we'll know, you know, maybe in 20 years from now, we will go back to being uh, friendly countries with them. We know Israel will be the first one to jump and become friendly with them as we've seen us become friendly with other Arab nations around the world. So let's hope for the best. And with that, we will conclude this week's episode of Here We Go Again. We thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed. We uh, hopefully will have a very interesting interview coming up next week if we're able to fit it into our schedule. So keep in touch and listen in. Thank you very much. Have a great week. This was Here We Go Again.